Welcome back to the Act Two Podcast, the podcast for the real life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. You know, Josh, the other day I was mm. perusing our episode titles just to see if we had a certain topic because we are notorious for forgetting the topics we've discussed. And I realized I had not rated our podcast yet, our own podcast. Is that right? So I clicked five stars. <laughs> That's good. And then I realized someone left four stars. <laughs> and I feel like I have to talk to this person and I need to figure out why we did not get that elusive fifth star. You know, that is a very weird rating to give because you're either, you either hate something and you're like, I hate them. Here's a one. Yeah. I'm not listening to them ever again. Never. Or... We appreciate you and you give us a five because that helps out the podcast. Mm. And then you're you're good with Tasha and I when you give the five. Yeah. <laughs> but then a four is like, that's like giving notes on a script and you're like, it's okay. Yes. You know what it is? It's CBB. Could be better. Could be better. That's well, what a four is. And there's not a specific reason why it's not better. See, this is what, what, what got me going a little bit was that there was no like four star and then here's my review. Mm-hmm. It was just like mm, CBB. So Mr. or Mrs. Four Star, if you're listening, please email us and tell us why. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think people are supposed to take these things so personally. <laughs> <laughs> we just want to be better. Just like writers when we get a note and we're like, oh, we don't want you to have a note here. We just want you to enjoy your reading experience. We would love you to enjoy your listening experience. Yeah. So how can we be better? And if it's that I should laugh less or something, or like tell less <laughs> jokes, I'm not sure we'll gain that fifth star. <laughs> yeah. Be specific. Yeah, it'll probably be, yeah, I don't like Josh's voice. <laughs> We can't do anything about that one. I guess we can in today's AI age, maybe. Oh. Uh, I just almost threw up. Okay. I don't know where to go from there. Okay. Today we are talking about this week. I heard something crazy. It's about, well, you know, we're going to talk about AI today. So maybe I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it. Okay. This week we're talking about this week in writing. This. Weekend writing. Who wants to start? Oh, we're just diving in. I think so. I'm going to start. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this light. Okay. Because Tasha has finally seen the greatest movie of all time. That is an animated movie about Mario. The Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> wait, wait. Is it the greatest <laughs> movie that falls under the bucket of animated movies about Mario? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <The> greatest... <laughs> okay. Correct. And you finally saw it. I did. We've been building it on this podcast for weeks now because you hadn't gone out and experienced it. That's true. I was late. And the internet says that it is the most uh, successful video game movie of all time. Yeah. So it's, so wor- it's worth talking about. It's worth so talking I about. I came in, as, as we know from last episode, angry <laughs> that this movie had so much cred and I was fully prepared to dislike it. Now, I've liked... Again, all the Mario games, except for Mario Kart. And the Mario live action movie. I was even here for that. <laughs> right? Wow. So, so this movie, yeah. And I actually really liked this movie. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I was along for the ride. I laughed. I thought that the, the Mario 
sort of nods to the game were really great. I thought they were far more literal than I expected. And I got very kind of, what's the, what's the word? I like turned my nose up at mm. their literal interpretation of the game because I'm always trying to find ways to bring in elements of the video game and kind of hide them within the story. So you're watching and you're like, oh shit, that's just from the game. But it also feels like this character is just doing something they would normally do from the game. But someone who's a fan would kind of point it out. But in Mario, this movie, they literally just have a level <laughs> that Mario has to run. And I was like, this is stupid. And then I watched it. I was like, all right, this is kind of cool. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, I, I was curious as someone who handles adaptations and someone who operates in this world as a writer that I wanted to get your opinion on this. What do you think when they started going real literal with it? I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> I, <laughs> they, they threw in the kitchen sink on this movie for they sure. Did. Like they, they really did. I was actually surprised that they incorporated like um, the Mario Kart aspect into Mario because one could see that being like a second movie where it's just like mm -hmm. a racing movie or something like that. But they, they just threw in everything. Clearly yeah. it worked because it's a very successful movie. Yeah. What's funny is we have a friend who was like, I wish there was more Mario Kart. And I was like, the whole second half of the movie is basically a Mario Kart movie. I actually wish there or was the last a little, third. Bit, little bit really? more Mario Kart. I think so. I have, I have a note. This was it. Yeah. A couple me. episodes ago, I was like, I have a Mario note. I feel like we were a little a little light on the Bowser. I can't even believe I'm about to go this deep into Mario. Uh, the the relationship with Bowser and the princess and Peach, the princess Peach, I was I was wondering about her. I was like, where'd she come from? She's a human. They just kind of glossed over it. Maybe that's mm -hmm. what the second movie's all gonna be about, but I wanted more. And I felt yeah. I, I felt like you know, Bowser was just, he just wanted to marry her. Mm -hmm. I was like, maybe could we get like a couple more, a little more depth to why? that? Like, why like, now? Why? I, I mean, she's, she looks like she's in her 20s at least. So, I mean, maybe he was waiting for her to come of age. I don't maybe. know. But that's, like, <laughs> where did this obsession with her start? Did they know each but, other? Did they, have they met before? Is that why he liked her? Yeah, that's what I was, I'm so happy you brought this back on the tracks because it went off there for a second. And um, um, yeah, that's what I was, I feel like if that was, there could have been a little more development in that relationship. Again, can't believe I'm saying this because of how enjoyable the movie is and it's yeah. a, a movie really geared towards kids. But I think, is it? No, it's for adults. Yeah, I mean, everyone, everyone loved it. I went with just a bunch of adults and we all loved it. Yeah, it's awesome. So anyway. I'm glad you I'm loved it. I'm not done talking about this. Okay, great. Great. <laughs> I I also I also was upset when Princess Peach says, "Oh my gosh, Mario, you're a human." Mm -hmm. And then just continued on with a different conversation as you were saying because that is the story. Like that's the meat. That is character stuff. I want to know why is she drawn to Mario? And it's because maybe he has a connection to a past she's been wondering about her whole life cuz she fucking lives in a entire country full of mushroom people, not humans. And this is the first human she's ever seen. Totally. But I she just blows over it. And that kind of upset me. The Bowser thing didn't upset me as much, but it upset me a little bit. I had questions. I guess I shouldn't say I was upset. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, movie was like a nine out of 10 in terms of experience for me. And that extra star that it's missing yeah. was simply these two moments that I'm talking about. And I think this movie does a great job at emphasizing something we talk about on the podcast a lot, which is how simple stories are kind of all you need to tell a great story. You just 
build a world around it. You have really great comedy involved. I think if they added that character dimension, it would really put it over the top. But the story is so simple. Bowser is going from point A to point B to Mm -hmm. marry Princess Peach. Mario is going from point A to point B to rescue his brother. And B is where Bowser is. So he is he is inevitably running right towards our villain. And that's it. Mm-hmm. That's the story, folks. I love it. And it's great. Yeah. And I also, I thought it was really clever how they addressed, like, the gloves on Mario. Mushrooms. Yeah. Maybe not mushrooms. But that was a little, I don't know. But there was a lot of clever things that they did. And they just went past it. Like, hey, we, we wear gloves because we wear gloves. Moving on. Because it was like, like his costume for his yeah, ad. It was like a calling card. <laughs> I loved it. His calling his, card. I love the that. Yeah, it's his calling card. <laughs> all of it. And I loved the way it was shot. It was like a video game. It was I, yeah. so So yeah. My favorite part of the whole movie, and then we can move on, is when they're in the real world and Mario is leading Luigi. They're running to their first job. And if they mm-hmm. screw up this job, then they're like they'll never work again. And so they're running through New York and he's and it's a side scroller and yep. he's like doing all the things he does in the game, but like through a New York City street and through construction. And that to me was like, oh, they're doing that nod to the game. And that's so fun. So then when they did it literally later, I was like, this is cheap. But then I still <laughs> liked it. <laughs> I loved it. And you know, what's, what's so great about that moment, because I do think that was a really important moment, is that, yes, it was a nod to the game. But it showed how capable Mario was. It showed that Luigi was always one step behind. And it was just very enjoyable. Yeah. The moment after that, by the way, with that dog. Yeah. The, that dog was so funny to me. <laughs> it was pretty great. <laughs> I loved it. All right. Thank All you right. for listening to us about Mario. Go see it if you haven't seen it. It's quite fun. Yeah. Go. My turn? Okay. So I've been thinking lately about writers and how we take notes. <laughs> this what? Just sh- shifted. It's a big shift. It's so a big fast. Shift. <laughs> yes. And there are three types of writers who I have sort of pinpointed that I wanted to talk about. One version is a writer who as soon as you start to give notes, you can tell like their entire body stiffens. They get like they they physically get tighter. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, "Uh-huh." Mm-hmm. And they're like typing, they're typing your notes they're listen. They're, you know, really listening to you, but uh-huh. No, like no other responses, no engagement beyond that. You can tell they've put up a very protective shell and they don't seem necessarily angry, but they seem, you can definitely feel like you are upsetting <laughs> their world dynamic by giving them these notes. And as a note giver, that becomes very difficult because A, it's not a conversation with this person. They're just closed up. And B, you start to feel like you're doing something wrong, mm-hmm. right? And you may be like, okay, maybe I don't want to give them as many notes, but they need these notes. They need to know what's working and what's not working. So, but now I'm afraid to give them notes because I don't want to ruin their life, which is what it seems like we're doing. So if you're either of those people in that scenario, I feel like loosen up if you're take if you're get receiving the notes. And notes should be a conversation. It should be, 
oh, I hear you. Oh, that's interesting. Well, what if I did this? Which leads me to the second writer that I've noticed over time is the writer who does more engagement. So like I give you a note, Josh, and this feels like how we are in writer's group because we become so comfortable with each other and it's not, we we don't really take things personally. So this kind of writer is typical in our writer's group where you get a note and you'd be like, oh, that's interesting that you felt that way there. Can you talk a little bit more about it? Meaning like, can you give me more of the note behind the note or explain to me where your note is coming from? And then I might like pitch back an idea. Be like, well, would this work here if mm-hmm. if this is what you're talking about? And I love that kind of writer because I feel like there's some there's a back and forth. We're collaborating. We're coming up with ideas in the moment. And I also feel like that writer is not angry at me. <laughs> They're not taking things personally. They're understanding that there's a problem. That's another thing with a person who's really tight. Like I don't un- I don't know if they're understanding the note I'm giving them because there's no feedback. Mm-hmm. They're just typing the note. So if they type the note and then they go home later to try to address it, I'm not sure if they understood my note because they just wrote down exactly what I said. Are we going to have to talk about it later because you, you Anyway, so I I do feel like the second writer is sort of the sweet spot where we're engaging um, in the moment. And also that kind of writer tends to be someone who's like, because I'm talking to you about what your note behind the note is, I understand it. And now don't worry about it. I will will fix it when I get home. I'll think about this exact note behind the note and I got you. And as like, let's say a studio executive, a producer, a showrunner, if you have a writer who engages with you that way, and even if they don't give you a solution in the moment, but they say, I hear what your note is, let me think on it. I think I can come up with a solve. That makes me feel so much better. I'm put at ease because I know you've got it handled and you've heard what the note is. So that is, again, that in the like Goldilocks and the Three Bears scenario, like that's the sweet spot you want to be in. And then another writer I've noticed over my my time um, is kind of writer who we've talked about this actually a couple episodes ago, a writer who takes notes literally because they want you. They're like, oh, you have a note. OK, give me the literal note and I will do that exact note. Yeah. And you're like, well, I want you as because you're a writer. I don't know if I'm a studio executive and I've hired you to write this movie. I'm going to give you a note that, you know, I, I'm not sure if Bowser has enough of a backstory here. Like I have questions about where he's coming from. And if the writer is like, well, where do you want him to come from? Uh, I I don't know. Like you're the writer, you figure it out. I just, I'm just letting you know that I have this question about where he comes from. So if you're the kind of writer who is also like, give me your exact notes and I will execute them. That's also not what your boss or the people hiring you for this project are looking for either. So um, this is just something I've been thinking a lot about um, and I just, there's this Goldilocks sweet spot Yeah, and that's it. That's great. That's great. I, when, as you were saying that, I think I was thinking about myself naturally. And I think sometimes I come off as sometimes as writer number one, because mm. I'll just sit there and I'm taking it in. And sometimes it takes me a little bit to digest a note or maybe the note that is being delivered is a lot. And I'm trying to work through what that person is actually trying to say. So it's somewhere between Mm -hmm. one and two, but I've actually worked on not being the guy, the person who just sits there and just listens. But that's, that's, that's what I want to do. That's like my natural instinct is to. Because you're what, is it because you're absorbing it all in the moment and you just need to, to process. I want to offer a intelligent, in solution or something that we can bounce off of, not something that's just 
for fluff. Yeah. And then since you know your script so well, you have to think of the ramifications it's going to have. And sure. Right, well, that's a first act note. So how's that going to play off in the third act? And then that'll change my midpoint a little bit. And then you're like, you're figuring all of this out before you respond. Within seconds. Yeah. Within seconds. Sure. So I've been working on me just going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Although mostly in writer's group, I'll just write things down. Yeah. And, and then I'll just, you know, chime back at everyone. But I feel like you are definitely living in number two. I live at number two and I'm I'm pausing because I'm wondering if I was number one because I very much feel like when I started, I say when I started, but for a long time, that's just my personality. It's like, I, I take a long time to process information yeah. and I cannot come up with a solution typically in the moment. Although I will say having to do it more and more often, working on projects with other producers who are kind of demanding it over the phone. Mm -hmm. um, and I say demanding and I don't mean that way, but like they're opening up the conversation and like, let's, let's kick ideas around on the phone. And I'm like, Ugh, I just want to be by myself to f solve this problem, totally. but I can't. So it's actually teaching me how to be better at coming up with solutions that may not be perfect and they usually are not, but there's like a quarter of it that's a good idea that we can build off of. So I've gotten better at kind of conversing and being in the world of number two, but I agree, I've always been a number one kind of person. But your point is valid. I think you do have to work on it. It's yeah. it's like a skill, like we talk about with pitching. It's not maybe innate in most of us as, you know, quiet sort of <laughs> introverted writers. But if you work on it, the more you work on it, the, the better you get at it. I, I think it's worth working on, honestly, because it does oh, put sure. studio executives, producers, the people who hire us and want to rehire us, it puts them off and it makes them feel like you're not fun to work with or you're not listening to them. And um, that can really prevent them from wanting to work with you again. Totally. And that, to be clear, my, my, my natural instinct is to be number one. But yeah. I, I've always worked on the number Mine two too. version of being like, yeah, okay, that's interesting. Okay, I'll think about that. I'll yeah. think about that. And sometimes it's helpful to just like repeat what they said in your own words, because that at least is telling me you're processing it in your own way and you're understanding it. Because if you then repeat my note and I'm like, oh, no, no, that's not what I was talking about. It's actually this. You're like, oh, okay. Then there's just something that happens in you just simply repeating it that I go, oh, Josh has understood the note and he's going to execute it properly because yeah. he's able to understand and articulate what my idea is. Notes are so interesting. It's there's so There's so many levels to notes. Like yeah. And it's such a key part of our job. Like how we receive notes is so freaking important. It's crazy. Recently, I had a phone call with someone. Uh -huh. I was I was getting notes that I think I was, I probably sounded very defensive, but I wasn't. But I, 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 I caught myself. I messaged you about it. And sometimes getting general notes is hard. Let's just put yeah. it that way. Yep. Because we've definitely gotten notes. We've all gotten those notes where they're super general. Like I don't like... Your, your villain is not likable. Oh, okay. I can't go home and fix that problem <laughs> right now with yeah. just that information. I need more information. So you do unfortunately have to challenge the other person to be like, oh, like where, where do you find them unlikable maybe? Or like what scene do you really feel that? So just like try and engage and like pull out information. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the trick is you have to do it even though you feel personally attacked because you spent so much time on this villain and that feels like an offhand note that they just squirt out. Like you still have, you have to like pretend 
that you're very (laughs) (laughs) kind and collaborative in that moment when you definitely don't feel it. So it is, it's a lot of song and dance in our job. And here's the last thing about this is if you're working with someone and you're getting notes, unless you're in a writer's group, presumably you're all in it together. You're with a producer, you're with an executive, you're with someone. So you're all wanting to make something great. You want to make it the best version it can be. So sometimes getting defensive in those scenarios isn't necessary because you're almost hurting yourself. You're, you're, yeah. you're setting yourself back by being someone who just wants to like burn it all down and be like, you don't know what you're talking about. As a writer, you just need to yeah. manage whoever you're talking to. Yep. Can I do a small tangent? Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> I was talking to my manager yesterday because just like things come up with different jobs that I have that I that I go to her and I'm just like kind of vent about certain things. And she had really great advice where she's worked with some very difficult people in, in her career, different directors and different uh, like really big producers and very different personalities, all of them difficult in their own way. Mm-hmm. And she was just kind of conveying to me that every job, Tasha, is going to be different. You're going to have very different personalities on every single job that you have. And part of your job as the writer is to manage those personalities. And so we talk a lot about on this podcast skills that are not writing that you need for a screenwriting career. And your example of that phone call is a perfect example. And the word you said manage is just what triggered me because you do have to manage various personalities. (laughs) And it could be anything from extreme narcissism to like mousy and quiet who doesn't tell you what they think until it's too late and you're in production already and you somehow still have to fix it. Like that whole spectrum is people you will have to learn how to manage respectfully and um, impress and and all those things. So it's so important to really work on these things. That's all I want to say because I'm still working on it and it's really hard. That's a very important thing though. It's very freaking important. Moving on. Yeah. To a not happier topic. Well, I have one more thing. A couple okay. things. A thing. This is this is actually probably a little more uplifting. One of my projects got put on pause because of the writer's strike. What? <laughs> 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 oh, I was all ready to be happy. I know. I know. Me too. Uh, no, so it happened. I, I have this... Um, there's this one script that or the spec that I'd been working on that came back into my life, which I've talked about before. You and I were just talking about, I'm going to bring the producer on sometime in the future to talk about how like projects can kind of come back on, uh, come back into your life. So I finished the spec. I'm like, this is, this is great. I was really happy with it. And then sent it to the reps and, and we were trying to attach talent and we we're just taking a little while for a read. And I was kind of like, man, this is taking a little longer than, than normal. And so I would check with the producer. He's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little slow, but there's a lot going on. It's okay. Don't worry. I'm still, we're still on top of it. I'm like, great. You know, I checked in with my agent because I, I got the sense. Like at this point, mm-hmm. I, I feel like writers get into this scenario sometimes where you kind of already know the answer to mm-hmm. something. And in my head, I was like, this project's dead. It's dead. The producer's like, it's not dead. We haven't sent it to a million places yet. But the point being is I ended up getting word that we felt like it was best to maybe just put a pause on everything right now because because of the strike, people are, aren't buying certain things. Yeah. A lot of talent's getting sent a lot of things. There's a lot of uncertainty. Oh, interesting. Um, so there was a bunch of reasons. 
in my head, naturally, I'm like, what you're really saying is my script sucks. But No, Joshua, it's nothing but, to do with that. Of course, that's where your head goes. But anyway, that was, uh, and when, when that happened, I was like, I guess my optimism is just taking a little you're bit that, of a hit. You're that clip from the Martin McDonough movie. Well, I guess there goes another dream. <laughs> oh, okay. That was, that, was, that was good dreaming for a little bit. So no, anyway. it'll it'll come back. It'll come back. That's an interesting point, though, about talent being sent a lot of stuff because all they can do in the event of a strike is produce movies. So yeah, it's a desperate desperate attempt to go into production fast. Yeah. Ugh. So well, you know what? If there's a strike, there's an end to a strike, and your script will be ready to go. That's what I like to hear. That's that's the optimum. When I when it comes back, I'm like everyone forgot about it. It's done. No one cares. <laughs> no, the producer won't won't let it die. No, he's invested I won't let it, too much time. I won't let him let it die. You'll play you'll tennis, play tennis with him, and you'll be like, "Where's my fucking script?" <laughs> That's literally the last couple times we've played tennis. I'm like, "So, what's up?" And I can tell he just wants to play tennis. <laughs> he's like, "Oh God, Josh is here again." <laughs> uh, Nick will be coming on. He'll be on here soon. That'd be great. I love Nick. Okay. All right. Um, happier topic. Go. Disney's laying off 7,000 people this week. (laughs) Shit. A friend of Paul's, my husband's also editor of the podcast, uh, works at Marvel and we went to Disneyland. She took us to Disneyland because they get, you know, these amazing free tickets to Disneyland and, uh, on Sunday. And she's like making these jokes throughout the day. I felt so bad for her. She's like, could be the last hurrah guys. We may (laughs) never be able to come back. (laughs) You You never know. And she's saying her boss has said that, you know, their department is safe, but no one's fucking safe. No one yeah. knows. And my heart goes out to everyone at Disney. It's so scary. Particularly confusing is that Disney is making so much money. Yeah. And how do you let people go when you're making so much money? And this is all a Wall Street thing. It's stuff that I don't care to understand, though I probably should care more. But it's it's a lot of sort of making Wall Street happy. And I hate that being the reason why so many people are losing their jobs. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, I, and I, I don't know what it means for us in the entertainment world, writers. It does seem like everyone's just kind of trimming back on content and cutting back on a lot of different things. Yeah. Which affects us, but it's it's a weird time, man. I don't know. I don't know either. You know what's interesting to me? Ever since I was an assistant at Universal, just coming from a writer's perspective solely, is that we fear producers or studio execs. There's something we writers have where it feels like they're the boss and also that they are the sort of holders of knowledge like mm-hmm. what they their notes are they must be right because right. they're studio executives and we have to do what they say which in some ways is true because they're the ones paying all the money to get it done so they want it done a certain way sure okay get that but there have been so many times from when i was an assistant to to now working myself that you invest in a project and then that executive gets laid off and they're gone mm-hmm. And they're gone and they're just at another company. Maybe they're doing the same thing. Maybe they're not. A lot of people go into real estate when they leave this this industry <laughs> and they're just out. And then suddenly your project is either dead or it has a new studio executive who's like, you know, 
I want this to be about moms instead of dads because yeah. I have an issue with my mom that I really want to work out in this show that you, you're, I'm not writing, but you are. And so suddenly it has to take a new direction. And there are you know, countless stories about this happening. And so I don't know. I don't know if that's even an appropriate detour to make. Um, but as a writer, just trying to process what this means for us, it does mean that you know your executive could possibly change and your project could either be at risk or it could take a new direction. And that sucks for, for writers as well. That's it the trickle down effect. It sucks for everybody. I don't like people getting laid off. I don't like it either. It's and to like be so scared of it. Like they're to know, like the whole world knows, right? This has been in the trades, it's been in the yeah. news, and to just have no idea if it's you or not. The only positive, maybe not the only positive, but a positive is that a lot of executives, if people get fired, the really resilient ones, they bounce back and they either start doing their own thing, they become more motivated, they and I, I think listen, I don't want anyone to get fired. But when you get beat down, you either stay down or you just fucking bounce right back up and come back yeah. even stronger. And uh, sometimes when you come back stronger, it can birth something greater and better and you're doing your own thing. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna hope that that's the case for a lot of people, but um, it sucks. Yeah, We need to definitely move on to something uplifting. Okay, I got one, I got one, I got one. Streamers okay, are now okay. releasing movies in theaters and that might be here to stay. Like they are finding, they are making so much more money by only releasing a movie in theaters before bringing it to their streaming platform, which fucking duh. But yeah, duh. Um, there's this article in AP <laughs> News, inspired by Air, written by Act Two writer Alex Convery, who is awesome. And they're talking about how they did a test screening of Air, uh, they being Amazon, mm -hmm. and they found it it was so highly rated in their test screenings that they're like, what would you say to releasing this in theaters? And they'd absolutely not planned on doing that. And so they released it in theaters, and it has, what, a five-day debut of $20.2 million, okay. which this is an adult drama. So that's a pretty big number for, you know, not being a tentpole four quadrant movie like we talked about a few day, a few weeks ago. And then they're eventually going to release Air on Prime Video and the studio is hopeful that that then that the, like the theater launch of Air then actually makes the streaming launch even more popular and bring more people to Amazon Prime because they're like, oh, that was that huge movie that got released with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon that was so popular in theaters. That's like a big event. I need to go to Amazon Prime to see that movie. Yeah. First of all, duh. Yes, everyone wants to see. It's hard to say, though, because there are certain movies that I could see that just should go straight to streaming. I get yeah. it. I get it. I really do, which sucks. But also, we need more movies in theaters. We need more movies in theaters. So Air launched in 3,507 screens, which is the biggest release ever by a streamer. And mm. Amazon said they are planning to release 12 to 15 movies theatrically now every year. Like this has set the stage for this kind of release schedule for them, which like we're back, baby, right? Like 12 yeah. to 50 movies just from Amazon. I think Apple so. Apple apparently is set to spend a billion dollars a year on movies that will go to cinemas before it goes to streaming, which is amazing. Money. It's a lot of money. And I think what they're finding is that 
yes, having a movie in a theater is basically free-ish advertising. Like you can do all the advertising in the world for Red, the next Red Red Notice movie is what I meant to say, um, yeah. on Netflix. But it's sort of not in the public consciousness as long as air has been. Like I'm seeing billboards for air, but I'm also seeing reviews for air constantly. People are talking about air. Mm -hmm. Like it just is everywhere because it's a big movie theater experience and event. And so I'm hoping that this is a, a turning point where we're going back to, to theater movies. Oh man, and I hope we'll so. Could you imagine if Maverick never got released in a theater? No! I can't even imagine. Can you imagine how sad I would be? <sighs> that would be one Such of those movies you, you watch and you're like, why did I not see this in a theater? Yeah. Because it almost came out. It almost came direct to streaming. That's what's so crazy about Maverick. No. All right. That was a little uplifting. I feel pretty good about that. It also means more jobs for us. If they're trying to release that many movies, yeah. boom. Let's go. Well, I, hope I hope Netflix does the same. Yeah. I feel like Netflix has some good things, good movies, Knives Out 2, maybe yeah. even Murder Mystery, things like that. I don't know yeah. if I'd see Murder Mystery, but there are certain movies I'd see in a theater. No question. Yeah. Hell yeah. Okay. Should we move on? Yeah. Uh-oh. Bringing us back down. No, 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 no. It's a little AI conversation. We've talked about it. I feel like we've been ahead of the curve on AI. And by ahead of... <laughs> By ahead of the curve, I mean, we were freaking out early. I'm still, okay. I feel like some people still haven't begun freaking out. People need out. to freak out. There's an article you sent me, which we'll shoot the link of, which is with Joe Russo, one of the directors from the Avengers, mm -hmm. and Donald Mustard, who is mm -hmm. the head of Epic Games, and they have mm -hmm. a movie division. They create Fortnite. Mm -hmm. And they're talking about the how AI is going to influence movies. And it's scary because now going back to what you had said earlier, when I was talking about my voice being used for AI and things like that, we can, things can be altered is that's a real thing. Like there there's, I was just watching something where AI or people were using AI to imitate voices and then calling people like family mm -hmm. members and, and scamming them because I have yeah. I would call you Tasha. I'm like, Tasha, I, I'm, I'm sick. I'm in trouble. I need money. I need this. I need that. So we're like entering the Wild West and things are just nuts. I don't know how it's going to affect movies. It's coming. We've talked about it before. And it just needs to be noted again that I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Like there's, there's nothing to do because we just have to watch it evolve. Yeah. It, uh, it's, it's scary. Are you scared? Yeah. Or are you like, I'm whatever? very scared. You know, I'm scared. I hate talking about it. I'm so scared. You do hate talking about it. <sighs> I saw another thing in terms of movies where you just type in, you know, make this at magic hour. Mm, make this at dawn, a chilly dawn. And mm. then it will change the lighting of your shot. Make the face brighter. It'll make the face brighter. Add sound effects of trees in the wind. I'll do that just in seconds. So I don't know. I don't like that it it's going to remove creative people from jobs, potentially. So many people. It just makes me ill. Are you going to be the showrunner that fights against AI when the studio says, all right, listen, we want to hire 10 writers, but we're going to take one of the writers away. So we're going to give you nine writers. And then the 10th is going to be like our AI bot that you're just going to type prompts into. 
Are you going to be down for that? Would that be a deal breaker for you? Yeah. You're like, I'm off the project. Yeah. And then enter Josh, who's like, oh, yeah, no, for sure. I'll Make run the show. Make them all not. Like, get rid of the others. Who needs Who humans? Who humans? Yeah. I, uh, here's the good news. Right now, if you embrace it, AI technology is supposed to be a tool. Like our computers. We use our computers to write. These are tools that help us in our creativity. And hopefully if we can look at AI in the same light, then it'll be much more bearable. If it stops there, I, I would be fine with it. Okay. But it's not going to. And that's okay. what makes me sick to my stomach. Yeah. You just had to bring up AI. Yeah. Shit, I should have brought up Mario at the end. <laughs> All right, I'm going to move on to an Act 2 email that we got perfect which i really loved because i think it's the experience of so many people this particular writer who did not give me permission to use his name so i'm not going to um says he's he's 43 years old and he's decided to make a life shift and become a screenwriter Mm -hmm. and that is so hard to do so all the kudos to you for doing that it's always scary to just kind of shift gears after being in a different gear for so long. And so his questions were around, how do I start to learn about the business? How do I get in there from the ground floor and work my way up? Because A, that's a very smart way to start asking is how do I get in on the ground floor and learn versus like, how do we become a screenwriter? Because it's very hard to transition from something totally different right into something other screenwriters have been doing for dozens of years, right? To get Mm -hmm. to where they are. Um, So, and I I think that is the right approach is learning, just even learning what the business is like, right? If you've been in a whole other industry, what is it like? Um, What is development like? What is even development? What is it? And what is production? What do people have to go through to produce something? And what are the terms people are using back and forth? How does the industry work? How does the pace work? All of that stuff. So I think he's very right to start asking those questions like how can I get an assistant job or a PA job or even a paid internship? And so I will say that I've been out of the internship thing for a very long time. But as far as I understand it, uh, they've really cracked down on internships in Hollywood because there was so much abuse of interns that you know people were working for free and uh, they weren't getting anything in return. And so I, th- I think now the, the, the rule is that you do have to be in college be, and be getting uh, credits at the very least for an internship. Paid internships, even when I was coming up in the business in like, when would, would that be? Uh, the early 2000s-ish? 2006-ish, even around then, it was very hard to find a paid internship, if not impossible, just because companies don't want to let go of any money (laughs) for an intern. Um, If they did, they would just pay an assistant instead and make the assistant do all the intern work, which is basically what they do. Um, There are places to look, though. There are some really great programs. Um, Again, I'm not sure if you have to be a college student for this, so I'm sorry if I'm wrong. But Universal has has always had a page program, which um, is in 30 Rock, (laughs) the page that's in. That's like a real job that you can actually get. We had Nicole Ramberg on here, one of the, the screenwriters we've had who's now an assistant for a showrunner, and she 
uh, came up through the PAGE program. So I don't know if she was in college at the time, but that's worth checking out um, as far as internships go. And then assistant jobs, those are also really hard unless you're sort of in the industry learning about jobs from other people who are like, hey, I saw that this assistant job is open. Do you want it? Because also these assistant jobs go so quickly, like Mm -hmm. within... Just from my experience from both applying to them, but also trying to uh, hire an assistant, I get so many resumes within minutes that I'm good. Like I've got 10 resumes within the first 30 minutes of like sending my post out that I need an assistant. That (laughs) if you don't hit that 30 minute window, uh, you're kind of done, which sucks. It's so hard, but that's why it is important to be within sort of the system so that you're one of those first people within that first 30 minutes, right? And so I would recommend career, I think it's entertainmentcareers.com is a website that I used when I was coming up. Um, if you're in Los Angeles or in any kind of surrounding area of Los Angeles, I would recommend any of David H. Steinberg's um, meetups that he does. Follow him on Twitter, David H. Steinberg. Yeah, I went he to one. Always, Josh went to one, which should be this week in writing, by the way, after yeah, this, sure. that you, you go to those and there's a lot of other writers there, basically. And some of them may be working in the industry as assistants already. They're coming up. That's a really great resource for you to um, to start asking about, about jobs. And um, I don't know. I feel like possibly, you know, entering scripts into contests could possibly be a way as well. Because if you, for for instance, I I submitted something to um, a contest years ago, and then I was folded into their system, and I still get their emails where like we're having a networking event, we're having a pitching event. So agents yeah. come and just so then you just start to meet people, and it's a slow process. It takes a while to build your network and build connections and start learning about these jobs, but. That's those are some ways to enter the system. And I will do a little bit more homework on sort of what opportunities are out there for people looking for kind of internship jobs and stuff. But um, that is that would be some of my basic recommendations. Yeah, completely agree with everything you just said. I still get emails from the tracking board, Mm -hmm. which is just like the weekly. uh, It's actually tracking-board.com I think is a, mm-hmm. is a site and you can sign up for their weekly newsletter and in there there are open jobs and you can get oh, jobs amazing. I think I think you can apply through there I don't to be honest I, I don't like go through them so I don't know what they are but I always know they're like entry-level jobs which is I think can be really helpful number one that's number one number two going back to what you said about like submitting your script I know that Tom at Coverfly I've heard mm. this this is a partner of act too so I'm but mm-hmm. I'm not just saying this he's really helpful I've talked to a couple of writers and um, they've put their script on Coverfly and if the script is doing well Tom will reach out to them and be like hey uh, what, what, what are you trying to do maybe I can help you out with your your script and something like that he very much cares about writers he's a, he does. he's a good guy I wouldn't say this. Like, I'm not just saying this because we act to as a mentorship with Coverfly. But yeah, I agree with everything you just said. And it's yeah. hard. It's, it's, first of all, it's great that someone's doing this because I've met people who just don't want to, who feel like they're just mm-hmm. too quote unquote old and they've too established and they don't want to start from the ground up, which I totally understand. Hollywood's a weird place. Yeah. Like, Ageism is a real thing in our business. It is. Yeah. That's for sure. It is. But fortunately, there's like contests and things like that where you can kind of get past the the age, you know? Yeah. There are, there are really cool contests in ScreenCraft slash Coverfly where if you win, 
they will set you up with a ton of meetings with big name producers and executives and various companies. And that's not, you know, the assistant job that's going to help you learn the business from the ground up, but it's going to get you into these, it's going to get you into the process a little bit. So you start to understand the language of what generals are like and how people talk about movies and think about movies. And um, you're definitely skipping the line in that version a little bit. You know, I learned a lot as an assistant that I wouldn't take back. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of different avenues is the is the good news. Mm-hmm. It's just all of them are hard. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. But Hollywood's hard. Any, any industry is hard, you know, like yeah. where you're trying to work your way up. If it helps you, by the way, I was older when I got my assistant job because I went through college and I went through grad school and then I had worked a little bit. So I was definitely older than all of the other assistants. I was, they were typically in their 20s and I was... I was 27. Holy shit. I was so young. Um, but I was older. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> than all the other assistants. I don't think this is going to help him. He's 43. Um, <laughs> no. Because <laughs> most assistants are just out of college. Fuck. I'm going to stop talking right now. Yeah. All right, tell us about the meetup that you went to because you just dropped a bomb. You were like, I'm showing up to the meetup tonight. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Yes, I went to the David H. Steinberg meetup. It was my first one. We've had David on the podcast and it was great. It was over at Brew Works. I actually missed my writer's group for the yeah. record. For the record, it was. I hope you I told had- everyone that you're missing writer's group for that because everyone I, should well, know I, how important writer's group is. I didn't, um, <laughs> but I didn't. First, our writers group was on a weird week. It was on a different week. I had other plans that I couldn't get out of. There was something I had to do, so I had a busy night. And I was like, I'm gonna go pop into the David H. Steinberg meetup for like an hour before I have to go and handle my other business. Mm. And so that's what I did. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was. I wish I would have stuck around a little later. I was, I was there. I met a few people. And um, it was awesome. It was, it was, was it fun busy? to talk to everybody. It was picking up. It was yeah. picking up for sure. And how is it organized? Is it just, I've seen the videos and it just seems like, you know, there are outdoor tables and people just sort of find each other, which sounds like a nightmare as an introverted person, to be honest. <laughs> I went in, there was a, like a little flag that David had put up. Oh. I actually went to a, di- there was another party going on and I walked over to it. I started to introduce myself to people. And then someone was like, do you go to this school? Does your kid go to this school? And I was like, oh, I'm at the wrong like <laughs> mixer. And then that was inside. Then I walked outside. I sat down. I was chilling by myself. I saw this other guy, Peter, chilling by himself. We okay. st- struck up a conversation. And, and so I started to talk to him. And then I st- talked to a few other people throughout the night. And it was, it was awesome. You find anything out about their writing? Did you like, what do you, did you yeah. say like, Hey, what are you writing? What kind of writer are you? Was it like writing conversations? Yeah, there was, there was writing conversations. People were talking about what they were writing. That sounds amazing. It was amazing. And I actually really enjoyed it because it's, and David had name tags. Mine fell oh. off. I was like, I'm not putting this back on. Fell off. <laughs> you don't, you never want to be known. You just want to, no. you just want to run in and out. Just there and back. But yeah, it, um, Meetups are really interesting because you do, they're so helpful because you're around people who are like-minded and people who, 
everyone's everyone's going through it. We're all yeah. we're all writing. We're all we're all experiencing something. You're working on a script, an outline, or whatever it is, yeah. and going through some shit. And it's just good to talk to people like that. And it's good to get out of your bubble and meet new people. I love that. That's cool. Yeah. I highly recommend the Steinberg uh, meetup, which is happening in West LA again, and then I think Northern Holly or North Hollywood soon. Yeah, they have another one, sort of Easter side. Oh, okay. I sprung it on him. I just showed up. I think he's he like, like, I don't know who you are. Yeah, who, who the <laughs> fuck are you? I'm like, I'm Josh. <laughs> What's up? Nice to meet you in person. Yeah. That's all I got. Okay. That's all I got. That's all I got as well. Yeah, we did it. We covered a lot. Yeah. It's a, it's a solid this week in writing. Next week, we'll do what we plan to do this week. I think that's a great idea. Okay. We'll keep everyone in mystery until we yes, get there. It's a good topic. Mm-hmm. Okay. Quote of the day. If it sounds like writing, I rewrite it. Elmore Leonard. Mm. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. I am Joshua Hallman on Twitter. Josh Hallman on Instagram. And as always, the Act Two podcast is a production of Act Two, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by 414 Bag, which you can find on Spotify. Mm-hmm.